uh, the focus that I'm going to focus in on is actually just one verse in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, which is verse 13. But the key thing, the key thing I'm going to be talking about is, the, is hope, actually. Hope. Hope. Because the, the whole Bible is actually a scripture verse. It's, it's just all about this huge song of hope. So some people, when they see like those huge flags, they think about what we've gone through, and they can be inspired. We can be inspired by hope in different ways. This, the scripture, I think, actually lasts uh, in such a way and brings hope that says it's eternal. It's not something that lasts for as long as a country lasts. It's not something that lasts for a short period of time or even for a lifetime or multiple lifetimes. But it says that it's imperishable, like the Word of God, that it'll never be broken. In fact, in Psalm 147, there's another cool psalm that's really similar to this. Uh, uh, I remember Steve Green actually wrote a song about it. We used to go out to Rockford and see him occasionally, like in concert. He'd play concerts outside in Rockford. There's a church there. Anyways, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but I will trust in the name of the Lord my God, right? I think that's like Psalm 20. In Psalm 147, which is a similar speaking thing, but it actually puts the trust part uh, in the opposite direction from God. And this is what it says. It should be on your handout too. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. It says that God's delight is not in the strength of the horse. By the way, have you ever really thought about that? Like the horse? The horse? Like... Horses play a significant role in the life of Scripture. They're all over the place, like majestic beasts and stuff. I, in, the, in the resurrection, which, which is what Paul's been talking about, in the new heaven and the unveiling of all that Jesus is, animals are going to be pretty cool, I think. They're going to be pretty amazing. And horses are going to play a significant role. Uh, powerful war horses, work horses, horses that do... I personally don't have good experience with horses. My uncle actually raised thoroughbreds. And uh, I remember we used to go down to, the, uh, occasionally we'd have like, when I was a kid, we'd have like these family reunions and we'd go down there. And my sisters loved them. They loved horses all the time. And uh, there, there were two things that I remembered about my uncle's farm. Uh, one was we were, we walked into the barn and my uncle was there and he's like, you see that bird up there in the, in the, up, up there in the top of the barn up there? Don't ever turn your back on that bird. All right. When you walk through here and he's in here up there in the rafters, you keep to the side of the wall and then you just keep your eye on him. You don't take your you don't take your eye off of him. So I didn't find out until I was an adult that he was raising like uh, birds that fight one another and stuff. And this was one of them that was in there. But I just remember being so scared. I'm like, oh, it's going to peck my eyes out. And then he put me on one of his horses and he put me on one of his horses. He's like, yeah, you're going to ride this horse. You know, this is going to be a great experience. You're going to... So I'm up on this horse and my sister comes riding around in the field on a bike and the horse gets scared. And so I go flying off the horse and my foot's stuck in the syrup, you know? So I'm like dangling off the side of it. Like, ah, ah, ah. And it was just terrible. And then we got... So after that, I was like, that's it. I'm done with barns. I'm done with horses. I'm done with, with it all. And then when my, when my older sister turned 16, instead of getting a driver's license and a car, she bought a horse. So she would, his name was Dakota, and she'd bring him around our house from time to time and stuff. And I'm like, keep that thing away from me. And then, and then I met Reg. And we decided that one day, as part of our courting and dating relationship, that we would go and we would rent some horses and go horseback riding. There was a horseback riding place, you know, it was like free range, you can actually trot and run your horses, you know, off of Route 12. I can't I remember the name of it. And uh, so I get a horse that doesn't have a tail. Actually, it has a tail, 
but it has no hair on its tail. I'm like, something is not right in the back of this. But because when you're dating, you know, you need to, you need to like, you need to build that relationship. I'm like, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it my full go here. And I told her up front, I'm like, I'm doing this for you, but I don't have good luck with horses at all. And uh, so I get on this thing, and what does it do? It tries to rub me off on every single tree that we drive by. It's like it's I'm like I'm like it's gonna rub me off. And it's I mean it just it wouldn't even stay on the trail. It just was like it's a bug and it's on me. I'm gonna rub it. That's what happens. So that's my experience with horses. I'm hoping that biblically that that experience is gonna change because I kind of have a negative sort of experience with horses, but it's going to change because Jesus is going to be riding a horse. I think I might be riding a horse when he comes back. And in this case, in Psalm 147, it says that God doesn't delight in the strength of the horse. So even God recognizes that horses have a strength that is, that is significant, that he programmed into them. He doesn't take pleasure in the strength of the horse. He doesn't take pleasure in the strength of a man's legs. And, and some of them are really cool. We just went through the Summer Olympics. Any of you guys watch the Summer Olympics? Pretty cool. The competitions are pretty neat. There's some runners that can do some pretty amazing things, some pretty physical feats. And God's saying, hey, it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm taking delight in. But the Lord takes pleasure in what? In those who fear Him and in those whose hope is in His steadfast love. So He's like, I'm not, it's not about tanks. It's not about warfare. It's not about how much weight you can lift. It's not about how many gold medals you can earn in a World Olympics. God doesn't honor that. That's not what He's after. In fact, it's not even like He actually takes pleasure in the fact when people put their hope and trust in His unwavering, steadfast, everlasting, never changing love. That's what He's after. He's about inspiring us to put our full and complete trust in Him. And he's put this stuff in, in history, and it's not even just like words on a page, because we're looking at that in First Peter. There's some incredible promises in First Peter that actually should inspire us to put our whole trust, everything that we are, we can bank it all. We don't have to diversify our funds when it comes to our faith in God or our hope. We don't have to put some of our hope in our finances or some of our hope in our family or some of our hope in our country or some of our hope over here. I'm saying that the Bible puts forward a, a God, a Godhead in Christ, in the Father and in the Holy Spirit where we can actually invest everything in Him and not worry that we're going to lose it all in the end and be completely bankrupt. In fact, the Bible puts forth a story that even if you put a little bit of faith it's going to be like a mustard seed and it's going to produce enormous outcomes of glory. In fact, Paul said we don't even know what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. John said the same thing when he was writing and said, we don't know what it's going to be like. And I sat with him. I saw his miracles. I laid on his chest. I talked with him. And I don't even know what it's going to be like when he gets back, except for the fact that I know that we're going to be changed and that we're going to be like him when we see him. So the Lord takes pleasure not in the strength of the horse, not in the strength of the, leg, of the legs of a man or the strength of our ability, but rather in those who fear him and hope in his steadfast love. So this morning, that's what this is all about. Are you putting your trust where it should be based upon what the scripture says? Because the reality of it is, is that we need spiritual chiropractic care from time to time. There are seasons of time and there are 
There are occurrences in our lives that come into our lives that tend to disrupt our straight spine. You know what I'm talking about? Spiritually, it disrupts us in such a way and it tends to try and get us to put our hope and trust in something else, in some other way, in some other thing. We begin to trust in horses or we begin to trust in our own strength or in our own wisdom or in the plans that we've made for this life or in relationships that we have that are earthly. And the Scriptures are there to renew our minds. So, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. This is what the Scripture actually says. And um, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. There's, a, there's that um, beautiful therefore, right? The beautiful therefore. Which means that if you see that, you've got to go back and find out what the therefore is. Therefore, right? You gotta go back and look and see, well, what is the therefore, therefore? And we'll get there. But here it says, therefore, preparing your, and there's three things here, right? I'm only gonna talk about three things, I promise. Prepare your mind for action, be sober minded, and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you personally at the revelation of Jesus, which is what Paul's been talking about, right? Like, I love that. You know, I said that before. He's probably said it too, but it's uh, uh, Awanas. That always gets me. Awanas. I'm going to go to Awanas. I'm like, it's not Awanas. It's Awana. Approved workmen are not ashamed. There's not multiple ones. There's just one. Awana. And then there's Revelations. I know when I was younger, you know, I was, I was always like, uh, when um, uh, my Bible was a comic strip Bible, and uh, but... I used to like to read the end stuff, you know, and then there was, do you remember those books that came out like Hale Lindsey wrote, like the late great planet Earth. So when I was a teenager, I was like reading all that stuff. I'm like, the end is going to come. And I wanted to have like some sort of like, I believed in the Bible kind of in some ways. But, um, you know, so it was always like revelations, like there were some sort of fortune cookies, like the book was all about like little revelations. You know, like little pieces and parts. I would need to know all these little pieces and parts. And then after a while, you know, in my 20s, I'm like, hey, wait a second. This isn't revelations. This is just revelation. And it's not of things. It's of a man. It's of a God-man. The revelation of a God-man. And so here, he says that Jesus is going to be unveiled in this incredible occurrence. And when we do that, the hope that we placed in that unveiling is going to be absolutely incredible. And I'm saying that even the most difficult, dark days of this life, I think, will be completely eclipsed by the beauty of His unveiling. And in some ways, because there are moments in our lives where I'm like, this is not cool. And the whole truck of everything that you see, it's not about hope in Christ, it's about the truck that's about to hit you in your life. Or the one that ran over you and you're looking at the taillights and you're like, I can't believe this. And, and God is saying that there is something more to this. So, by the way, did you guys see that harvest moon last night? That was awesome! So we had to go out to the grocery store for this object lesson that we're going to do in just a second. And Aiden and I were driving, and we were heading right towards it. You know, I'm like, whoa, look at it, it's so cool! That's one of the coolest parts. I'm, not, I'm more of a spring person than a fall person. But fall is really cool when the harvest moon comes, and the moon is raised, and it's full, and it's like real low on the horizon. And Aiden's like, it looks fake. I'm like, it does look fake. It's huge. He's like, it looks like we could touch it. I'm like, yes. And all of that is just a reminder of the glory that's going to be unveiled. This incredible stuff. So he's saying that we need to put our hope fully 
We need to put our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the unveiling of Jesus. So we have this illustration. Go ahead, let's do this. So open this up here. Here, bring this up here. I have this little thing. I have this picture. So we'll put this here. Pour that in there. Okay, I'll do that. You get the, you get the other stuff, okay? We're just going to pour some milk into this little picture here. By the way, you know that like uh, human illustrations don't really work really well, but it's kind of fun to have a visual illustration from time to time. I like it. Even Paul, actually, in the book of Romans, he's talking about marriage and Jesus to the church and stuff. And he's like, it's a human thing, though. It doesn't really work all the time, but it, it, it's got some merit to it. So hopefully my mind isn't too distorted really bad and you'll actually get this idea that we got going on here. So what I'm having is like this here, if you could see it, our little, our little pitcher of milk is kind of like our lives. We could probably put a little bit more in it. And in the book of 1 Peter, he actually puts forth a whole bunch of promises. At the end of the chapter, he says that these promises are, are eternal and everlasting and will never change. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this, we're going to take this, um, our chocolate. We're going to make some chocolate milk, which is going to represent our hope, right? So this chocolate is going to represent uh, our promises that God has made to us in First Peter. So I'm going to list one off. That's from First Peter chapter one, and then Aiden's going to take this and squirt it in there, like it's a promise that God made to us. And this would be represented representational of who us, right? Like our soul, our spirit, who we are. All right. So here's some good ones, right? In verse one of Peter, it says that God chose us. So squirt some in there, right? There we go. So He chose us. Try and keep it in the middle, bud. All right. In verse chapter three. Since God caused us, God caused us to be born again to a living hope. Squirt some more in there. God caused us to be born again to a living hope. Verse 4, since God is keeping an inheritance for you. Like we have an inheritance. How cool is that? How cool is that? Sometimes, you know, what's an inheritance? I don't know. Like I didn't have a whole lot. Like my family didn't have a whole lot of anything or whatever going on. But he's got an inheritance He's keeping it for us. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So did you sort some more in there? All right, verse 5. God is protecting you through faith for salvation that's going to be revealed. I've done this before, but there's multiple parts to salvation. It's kind of simple and complex. Like we've been saved, we are being saved, and then we're going to be saved sort of stuff. So I would call that uh, justification, sanctification, and then ultimately glorification, like all three parts of salvation that are there. In verses 6 and 7, God is refining our faith by fire, and it's going to result in praise and glory and honor at Jesus' revelation. These are all promises of God's grace to us. He's going to refine us, but in the end, our faith is going to give glory to God, even in the most difficult moments of our lives, even in those moments when we fall on the ground and there's no one there to help us, like in the story, right, of the video. It can happen. It happens in life. Uh, in verse 8, since you experience love for Christ, even though you haven't seen Him before. That's grace. I mean, it's a little weird, right? Like, do you have family members that you haven't seen? Do you love them? If you've never met them before, like you find out about them, like you're doing a family tree thing or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? And yet, how is it that when we become regenerated, even though we've never seen Jesus, even though we don't know what He looks like, we have love for Him. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like we even want to sing songs to Him. We think about Him a lot. You know, sometimes He can even become like a, a glorious obsession in so, certain ways that's not idolatry. Isn't that, is that weird? A little bit, a little bit odd? But that's grace. That's God at work in us. 
That's another chocolate squirt, right? So, uh, since God is, in verse 8 again, since faith in Christ results in inexpressible joy, unquenchable glory, and ultimate salvation. I like those adjectives. Like, those are amazing adjectives. What kind of God do we have that loves us like that, that He's going to give us inexpressible joy, unquenchable glory, and ultimate salvation? Like, this is incredible what Peter's writing about. It's just incredible. That should be like three squirts, but you just leave it there. All right, number, and then, and then in verses 10 through 13, you guys can read this, but this prophets actually had, by the Holy Spirit, were given truth, and they were trying to figure out what we actually are experiencing today. And Peter even says that angels, I, I have it in my mind, this is a little bit of sanctified imagination story stuff, but I have it in my mind that probably there were some holy angels that were like, what is he doing? What, what, why would he do that? Why would he become a man like that? Why would he become a baby? Like, he can't even change himself. He's so, like, he can't even pick himself up off the ground right now. Like, Mary and Joseph have to care for him. Like, what is going on? And God won't let us, like, take care of business. All we get to do is sing and worship him a couple times. And they do actually make other appearances at certain times, right? Like in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was suffering and, and God let him come. But do you get the feeling that there's probably some tension in the angels that were like, you got to let us intervene. you got to let us get involved. And God's like, nope, nope, nope. As a man, as a man, he's got to be here as a man. And, and Peter says that the salvation that God is bringing to us through his son Jesus, that angels don't even get it. They have to look at the church to actually understand the magnitude of the chocolate being invested in broken, frail idolatrous, unloving, rebellious people towards God. And they're just like, what? Why would you do that? And, and ultimately, the reason is not ultimately because of us. It's because of Him. Because of how loving He is. So all of these things result in truths, and God makes these truths, and they get pumped into our soul through the Scripture, right? And, um, and they just sort of sit there, Right? They just sort of sit there. And in fact, your soul, like pre, pre, the idea here is that it might not be significantly changed. I mean, a lot of the promises are all just sitting at the bottom. It hasn't made a huge impact of hope in my life. You know what I'm talking about? Like, my life hasn't been significantly changed. I know the promises. I read the promises. I might have even memorized some of the promises. But somewhere along the lines, God's grace hasn't been awakened significantly enough where my soul was transformed into something different that brings happiness and joy to young people and old alike. Chocolate milk, right? Yeah, all right. So what ends up happening is, is that Peter actually says that trials come into our life and bring refinement and difficulties happen and we get connected with eternal everlasting truth and then in the middle of our experiences connected with amazing truth that comes from God's Word, made alive by the Holy Spirit, that our souls get all jumbled up. You can mix them now. Mix it all up. Our soul gets all jumbled up in the midst of the transforming work and grace of God. And yes, sometimes even the trials in our life that, that mix the truth up all together in our soul, and our soul becomes a whirlwind of crazy going on. And in the midst of it, we can have peace 
and our hope becomes magnificent in the grace of God and our lives get transformed. And, and ultimately, the outside of our lives looks the same. We're still in the same body, but internally our soul gets changed. And that is, that's a work of grace, not just a work of a plastic cup in my son, and, uh, and, and a significant evolution of grace being turned into hope that transforms the way we see the world. It transforms the way that we relate with God. It transforms the way that we relate with our family members. It transforms the way that we work. It transforms what we do when we go shopping in public and all of this stuff. Our lives get transformed. Thanks, man. I love you, dude. Yeah, thanks for doing that. Hey, uh, so we have some cups and stuff. We don't want to waste this, but uh, Aiden was like, we have some cups, so if you want some transforming hope in your life and you would like to drink some hope, we have it here, so... Aiden can force them out if you guys are interested in that. So, All right, so you get the idea of what that looks like. The promises get invested in our soul. Chocolate. You know what I'm talking about? Chocolate. I have a, I have a problem with chocolate. Like, I really, I, I really, I, I like it way too much. But yeah, promises are like hope instilled. Promises, grace, chocolate. Mixing in our lives. Trials that come in our lives. And ultimately stirring us up in such a way. So, the way that this happens is, Paul says you got to prepare your mind for action. And I was going to, I actually forgot, I was going to get a, a tablecloth for this one. So uh, I took a new job um, some years ago, and I was kind of new in the office. It was an office environment, so I was like a technical engineer, and it was an office environment. And I remember uh, we had to go do this job fair, and they selected me to do a job fair for the Federal Aviation Administration, which is a little bit funny, but it's also cool, too. And uh, so they gave us this... Um, tablecloth for the job fair, you know. So we put it on the tablecloth. It has a big Federal Aviation Administration. I probably shouldn't be saying anything about that. I work for the FAA. That's all right. Uh, it gets a little weird government. No, I'm just kidding. So there's this big symbol on it. And I remember taking that, that um, tablecloth before we went. There was other people in the office that were going with me. And I grabbed it and I, I like tied it around my neck in the office. And I was like running through the office with it. I'm like, I am super FAA man! You know, and they're like, What? And I'm like, yeah, look at that. I'm super F.A., man. And they're, they're just like, this guy's a nut. And uh, so, but the idea of girding up your mind is that it's kind of hard. You know, what was it like in Incredibles? Like, I like, the, I like we, with having kids, you know, we're all about like just the digital movies mostly, although the Jungle Book's kind of cool. But in Incredibles, remember, he wanted a new cape and the lady was like, no capes. No capes for your suit. Why? Because they create problems. So back then... They had like they would wear like long tunics and junk, you know. They didn't have pants. They were kind of more like MC Hammer baggy pants things going on. And if you really needed to run, you had to gird it up. Actually, literally, it's gird up your loins. So you have like some sort of like tie thing. Like I was doing this to Reg the other day. I had a long shirt on, so I'm like, I'm girding up my shirt, Reg. Look it. I'm like tying it. I'm like, whoa, Bobby. She's like, stop that immediately. Kate is gonna see you do. <laughs> Kate is going to see you doing that. And uh, so this idea is that you can't run when you have like a long dress on, right? And uh, so, so you'd have to gird up this dress if you're going to run. So what literally in the Greek, it's like gird up your loins. I like that. It's kind of fun talking to the new kids. Gird up your loins! You know, and our kind of getting like, what? And in Ephesians, he actually talks about the same thing when he says gird up your minds in truth. So that's right before the 
passage of the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 where he says, hey, you need to gird up your minds and the way that you do that is with truth. So when he says gird up your minds, he's saying you need to know my truth. God is. You need to know the chocolate promises that I've given to you. You don't want to have them just like in a book somewhere where it's collecting dust in your house. You need to get them out. You need to think about them. You need to dwell about them. You need to meditate on them. Because in the end, that's what we're doing. We're actually girding our minds for action. And in some ways, I'm telling you, some parts of it is girding our minds for action in the glorious, transformational, transfiguration moments in life. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the earth is kind of cool in some ways. It's really amazing. I mean, last night the harvest moon was cool. Babies being born into the world, as difficult as it is, is still cool. You know what I mean? When everything goes fine and mom's good and the baby's good and you get to hold the baby, the first cries, the nurturing of the child. I mean, there's some really neat things. Marriages are cool. I mean, when you get together and you see weddings, especially weddings that are oriented around like truth, uh, unveiling of truth of what God has actually spelled forth in His Word, glorious truths. There's some really cool moments in life that are glorious. And, and, and hope actually, and the truths of God's Word can help us to celebrate those moments even more. But I'm telling you, where the, where the hope really comes at, where it really comes in, is when the difficulties come. And they're coming. They're coming. When I was a kid, I, you know, I really thought for certain, the more I thought about this, although I still don't really see myself totally as an adult, when I was a kid, I totally thought, there's no way, there is absolutely no way that Jesus will not come back before I graduate from high school. And then graduate from high school happened. Then I'm like, there is absolutely no way, you know where this is going now, right? There is absolutely, because you've all had the same thoughts. There is absolutely no way that Jesus is not going to come back before I get out of college. It's going to happen during my college years. And, uh, no, that didn't happen. There is no way that Jesus is not coming back before I get married. Uh, yeah, that happened. There is no way that Jesus is not coming back before I get a, like a job that's like a career job. That one really hurt, right? Because in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to work, Lord. You've got to come back. You've got to come back before I have to get a job. And, uh, uh, <laughs> I just like yeah. <laughs> there is no way that Jesus is not coming back before I actually become a parent. <clears throat> that happened. There is no so I have more now, right? What are what are your future? There's no ways, right? I mean, honestly, uh, uh, we have this track. It's called the 101 of the world's best one-liners. I like to give it out. We have tracks that people ask for tracks from us sometimes. There was a time when uh, every, every Friday night after youth group, we would go to McDonald's. I probably shouldn't tell you that, but we did. And uh, Reg is left-handed, so I would give her these tracks. And after we got our food, because you've got to wait until after you get your food, right, if you're going to harass people at the drive-in. You've got to wait until after you get your food. Why? I don't need to explain that, right? All right. So Reg was, Reg, I'll be like, Reg, here, here, here's this track. And uh, so we'd get our food, and right when the doors were, like, closing, you know, they had those folding doors that would kind of close like this, like an accordion, and Reg would be like, boo! And the track would, like, shoot through the door, and it would just slide right onto the, um, right onto the counter. I'd be like, you! We got another one! And this went on for, like, weeks and weeks, months even. And then one day we went to McDonald's before church one morning, 
And so we, so we stopped in there, got like some McDonald's stuff, and we we're pulling away. And the Ted pops out of the window at the McDonald's at the drive-thru, and they're like, Hey! Hey! Did you guys forget something? <laughs> and we're like, What? So, so we grabbed, I grabbed the track really quick, and I gave it to her, and Reg like flicked it over, and they're like, We got this one already! We got the- That's a true story. That actually really happened. <laughs> so in there, in there, there's, there's this one track. It's 101 of the world's best one-liners. And there's one of them. It's, you guys probably know this one. I can take pain until it hurts, right? I can take pain until it hurts. I used that one once on my dentist, actually. <laughs> he's like, I had a cavity. And he's like, all right, Terry, uh, <clears throat> do you want to use Novocaine for this? And I'm like, I don't know. Is it going to hurt? And he's like, well, you know how dentists are. Well, you know, different people have different pain tolerances, and uh, some people actually, it, it won't hurt as bad. And I'm like, well, I can take pain. And he starts scooting over. Like, he started scooting over on his little chair, you know, like. And I'm like, until it hurts, so use Novocaine. <laughs> he's like, I think he got mad at me, but... <laughs> So, I think that way about the return of Jesus, too. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because I, like, I don't want pain. I don't want the suffering that comes along with uh, uh, bodies that are corrupted and grow old or difficulties that we face in our lives. I can take pain, God, until it hurts. And my prayer for that is, how about you just come back before the pain happens in Carrie's life or anything that I have to be adult accountable about? And then you'll just save me the rest of it. And the reality of it is, is the Bible just doesn't paint a picture like that for us. It doesn't at all. In fact, Peter doesn't do that at all. And he, just, he just starts bulleting off all the chocolate promises. And he's like, look at this. God called you from the beginning. He loved you. He sent His Son. He raised His Son from the dead. His Son suffered death for you. He did all of these things. He's got a future for you that is, that is filled with inexpressible joy and glory that's going to last forever and ever and ever. So here it is. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever difficulties that you're facing, even some of the most horrendous and challenging ones, will be eclipsed, I promise you, Peter says, by the glory that's going to be revealed. So take up your skirt and tie it off with some truth and start running towards God, even in the middle of your trial, even if you feel that you can't run anymore, that you're just falling off the bed, and there's no one there to help you at all, His hope will be there in the middle of it. And, and I'm telling you, experientially, it's easier to talk about than to experience it. Because I know in, my, in some of my difficulties, which have not been super difficult yet, in some of my difficulties... I felt like there wasn't a thread of hope there in the midst of the challenge that came that I was facing personally. In reality, it was a deception of my mind. It was a deception of my mind because I wasn't girding up my mind in that situation. I was letting the the circumstances eclipse the truths of God. And I'm telling you that the truths of God, biblically, are bigger than our circumstances. They're bigger. They're more sure than the foundation of this earth. Aiden and I were laying out the other night. You know, it was kind of hot and humid. Even at night it was dark. And we were laying out on the ground. 
and just looking up at the sky. It was kind of cloudy. It wasn't cool. as cool as like when you could see stars and stuff. And Aiden's like, this is so weird. The earth doesn't really look round. It looks flat. I'm like, I totally get what you're talking about. It looks flat. But it's not. It's round. And we... We, and so we got this opportunity last night to talk about the curvature of the earth and why the moon looks so big in its harvest situation. And I'm telling you that these promises about our security in Christ and what Jesus has done and God's election of us in our lives are more sure than the earth that I'm standing on right now. It's more sure. It's, it's a more lasting hope. And I'm saying that there's trees that I've planted in my life that are going to be here. If Jesus doesn't come back longer, I'll, my body will be in the earth. It will return to the earth for a season of time. For us, for Christians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But my body is here until the unveiling of Jesus when He's going to command my body to be raised from the dead. And I will meet Him in the air at that moment. And thus, I will ever be with the Lord. I believe that's going to happen. I'm going to hear it. It's going to happen. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Paul actually, in, uh, in the book of Philippians, said <clears throat> that he wants us to think about whatever is true and whatever is honorable and whatever is just and whatever is pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable. And if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think of these things. And I say, the only thing that meets all of those criteria is God. The only thing that meets all of those criteria is God. So we need to have the truth of who He is as He's unveiled Himself in this book and, and, and tear away the lies and put in the truth of the chocolate into our souls so that we have it at our beck and call when the furious difficulties, and the temptation for hopelessness comes. And sometimes when things are going good on this earth, we're not working out. We're not working out. And I'm saying we need to. We need to be working out. So, <clears throat> the next thing is we need to be sober-minded. And I get back, like I have this, uh, I have a smartphone. I like smartphones are interesting. They have different things that go on. So, I'm just looking at this like, uh, and on my smartphone they have apps for working out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like they have like they have electronic coaches that kind of help you. They'll like shock your arm and junk. My 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 watch actually goes off. It's like, dude, you haven't stood up in the last hour. You're lazy. What are you doing? Get up and start moving around. Aiden the other day, he's got a um he's got a Fitbit. You guys have Fitbits? So he's got a Fitbit. I don't have a Fitbit. I, my my, my uh, phone like keeps track of my heart rate all day long. It does all kinds of stuff. Tells me if I'm doing good or bad. He's like, hey, Dad, how many steps you got today? And I'm like, hold on a second. Let me take a look. Ooh, 4,200. He's like, oh, yeah, 16,000. Beat that one, Dad. And I'm like, what? That's just so bogus. You're just shaking it. You're like, you're shaking it. He's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, whoa, that's just wrong. <laughs> it's not even on my writing hand. So, so here's an app. <laughs> so there's a, some of the top apps on the, on the app store on my phone. There's a seven-minute workout challenge. If you do this seven-minute challenge every single day, it'll give you rewards. If you don't, you can't get the rewards. There's one for, 
if you want to run a 5K, it's called Couch to 5K. They're like, dude, we know you're lazy, so you need to buy our app so that you can run a 5K. And all you have to do is three workouts a week, 30 minutes each one of those workouts, and I'm going to have you run in a 5K. So we buy this stuff. We invest. There's even one in here. It's called, like, God Run. Let me see if I can find it here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait. Run for God 5K Challenge. That's the couch to 5K, like, Christian version that doesn't insult people. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, when we, we had this, uh, the Wii, when the Wii first came out, they had that Wii Fit. You know what I'm talking about, Wii Fit? If you guys don't, maybe you bought it for your kids or something like that. And it's got like the scale thing that you sit on or whatever. My family got really mad because I play all the games and I don't, I won't stand on it. I sit on it and I'm just like, woo, woo, woo. And they're like, you're totally cheating. I'm like, whatever. Who's got the high score? I'm not cheating. And they're like, but it says that you're only weighing 50 pounds. I'm like, yeah, all right, you know. But the first time you got on that scale, you know, the little, the little wee fit guy, like you stand on the scale and it goes, obese and I'm like what the Nintendo just totally insulted me what in the world and the idea is you know body mass index so it's the idea is like to get us encouraged to work out and so we have all of these things in this life like we got fit bits we got phones tracking us we got things sending us emails you know it's sending us text messages like do your workout you can hire personal trainers that are like what do you, why aren't you in spin class right now what are you doing why are you at home are you watching TV? Get off the chair. Stop eating those Pringles. What are you doing? And we, and we have all of these things. And what I'm saying is that the Bible says that we need to be sober-minded, that we need, to be, we need to be exercising. There are, in this life, I call them hope suckers. Hope suckers. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like sucker fish that clean off. Although sometimes these hope suckers aren't really, really good in our souls. Things that latch onto us that become distractors, that engage our soul in ways, that diminish down our trust and faith and hope in the grace and the glorious grace of God and the unveiling of Jesus in the future. They exist in life. Physical conditions, relationships, financial situations, jobs, family, disease, other difficulties that come in that want to try and suck off our hope. And... and, and Paul, and Peter says, and Paul said the same thing, that he wants us to be sober. So here's the idea, right? Here's the idea. That these hope suckers are about getting us drunk. These hope suckers are about getting us drunk. You know what I'm talking about? Like, drunkenness, it, it sort of messes up the way that we see things in life. When we get drunk, it sort of messes stuff up. It distorts truth. It blurs vision. It makes driving dangerous because you don't have the reflexes that you need. Even if you've been working out during the day, it doesn't matter how fast your reflexes are when you're under the influence of something else. And these hope suckers come into our life and begin to try and influence us and get us to trust in other things that we should not be trusting in. And it blurs our vision of the truth, distorts truth about, about us, about the world around us, about God. And what ends up happening is when those hope suckers invest and those hope suckers, they'll come at the same time that trials come. And we will be broken, people. And sometimes not in a good way. Sometimes not in a good way. Brokenness can be good. 
when it results in further trust. But we need to be prepared during the good day so that when these come, that we're sober. What is it that numbs your mind to God? We need to fight against these hope suckers in our lives. We need to fight against them. We need to take action to eliminate them. You can't get rid of them all because part of it has to do with the world. But there are certain times when we invite them in. We're inviting them into our lives. And, and we, need to be, we need to be waging war. So First Peter reminds me, I, I, I was thinking about this, there's a passage in the, in the book of Luke, it's actually probably recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, but I'm going to read from Luke, where Jesus actually said this. And it makes me wonder if Peter wasn't, years and years later, after, after working through ministry, public ministry, ultimately it's giving up his life, um, if part of the first letter that he wrote to the church actually wasn't rooted in, in this specific, specific teaching from Jesus, that he sat at Jesus' feet and heard it. This is what Jesus said. Watch yourselves. This is Jesus' words. Watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. These are the hope suckers. Like being not working out in your relationship with God, putting Him on the couch and not interacting with Him. Okay, Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. I want you to stay awake at all times, praying that you might have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And I'm saying that I can't do that on my own. But... I believe Jesus is praying for me to be able to do that. In fact, I can even go back, and maybe some of you guys can think about this. There's several scripture verses. There's one in Romans, there's one in Psalms, that says that according to God's grace, sometimes I stumble, but I won't fall. Because the Lord holds me up. And I trust in Him more than me. And, and I need to have not a drunkenness, but a steadfastness, things are going to come into our lives, even Jesus recognized this, where He says, your hearts will get weighed down with the cares of this life, and when it happens, you need to fix your eyes on Me. Fix your eyes on Me. Remember the promises. Did He not even do that Himself in the Garden of Gethsemane? Did He not do that Himself when He was on the tree? when he was being bruised, when he was being beaten? Did he not leave us an example in the midst of the cares of his life where his physical life ultimately was going to be forfeited so that we can have everlasting life? Did he not give us an example? And I'm saying that we need to have a workout regimen where we're girding up the loins of our mind, we're staying sober in our relationship with God, that, that our hope is fixed assuredly on His grace, that we know and understand His promises, so that when the trials come, we can effectually, by His grace, stand in the midst of the trial and give glory and praise to Him. Have you guys seen that happen before in the lives of believers? That have been faced with insurmountable tasks? 
insurmountable circumstances and you sit there and you think, oh my goodness, if that were me, there's no way that I could, that I could, that I would be in that state of peace that they're in right now. I would just be in full freak out mode. And, and I'm saying that God's promises are enough for you and for me that when it comes, if your hope is fixed on Christ and your soul is chocolate milk, not just a bunch of promises at the bottom of your, at the bottom of the well, that His grace is going to be made manifest. And in the end, when the trials end, because the storm will end, ultimately, Christ is going to be unveiled in all of His glory. And you and me are going to be there to see it. And in some ways, His glory is going to be shared with us. And everything will be summed up in Him. So we need to be there today. Father, we give You thanks today. Help us not to be half-hearted hopers. Help us not to be satisfied with weak hope. Help us to have a hope that's based in the truth of Your Word. It's sober. It's active. It's pursuing You. Lord, I I recognize that even in my own life that that pursuit isn't just an act of my will, but a work of Your grace. So come even today and work in our lives, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.